Word met. Whatever happened to the dream you had when you said, One day I'm gonna be so high in the sky, I'm gonna be no different from a bird's kiss. I'm a pilot. I got so much compassion in my heart, and in this lifetime, I'm gonna help as many people as I can because I'm a nurse. The whole world's gonna know about me, and everybody's gonna hear my name because I am a star. I'm gonna help build the best houses with the best foundations and the best buildings in the world in this lifetime because I'm an architect and that's who I am. See at the time that your vision took flight, you took pictures of what you wanted to be and you placed them on the wall of your bedroom because in your mind you were so convinced that you could become that and so much more. And now, and now. Capital 263. Hi, um, welcome to another podcast brought to you by Career Zimbabwe and Capital 263. Today we're here to talk about CV, CV writing, CV formatting, the do's and don'ts. And to do that the most, we have uh, a very good expert on CV writing. So uh, Fiona Martin, I think you can introduce yourself better. Please, we need all the accolades at one place. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be here. Uh, my name is Fiona Martin. I'm uh, a registered industrial psychologist uh, and I'm also a career development specialist. I'm a career coach. I basically do a whole bunch of things uh, within the career space, um, in particular helping job seekers um, to, to find employment, you know, how to market themselves. And of, of course, CVs are a very critical tool uh, in terms of, you know, trying to transition be between jobs and just generally um, something that every a job seeker and even if you're not on the job market you know, it's something every professional should have uh, at hand at any given point all right thank you very much so um they say that a cv is um you know that document that is going to sell you uh, in your absence you know this is just like the banner you see uh, when you're moving around which is advertising a company but then directly the do's and don'ts when you are you know uh, writing a cv so maybe from the general perspective, what are those do's and don'ts which you have seen or which you talk about the most? Okay, great. And I, I like that you, you've mentioned it as a marketing document. So the reason that we say a CV is a marketing document is that that's the first thing, you know, as you alluded to, mm -hmm. that a recruiter or an employer will see about you in your absence. So it must be able to sell you to communicate your story appropriately, you know, in the absence of you sitting there and actually, you know, having to say it. And in essence, um, the, the widely quoted stat is that um, recruiters and employers take between 7 to 30 seconds to look at a CV upon initial screening. So you can imagine, if I have seven seconds to look at your CV and make a quick decision, what must that look like? It means that it must make a quick impact. Um, and basically within that time frame, I should be able to gather enough information about you to be able to determine, you know, should I, you know, proceed you to the next stage of, of the screening process or should I reject you? And in fact, you might find that you are a brilliant candidate um, for that particular position. But if your CV is not selling you, you end up, you know, disqualifying yourself for positions that you actually qualify for because you're not able to sell yourself, you know, through that document that is that is absolutely critical in the job search. Because we're talking of seven seconds. So it means my CV should not be more than two pages or even a page. Yeah, generally, look, so um, I, I normally say if you are an entry-level professional, so maybe 
two years and less experience, maximum two pages CV. If you're a, a, an experienced professional, you know, even up to 20, 30 years, I, I don't think you should have a CV that's more than three, four pages. In fact, I remember I had um, a client who had a 27-page CV that I was able oh. to reduce to four pages <laughs> without losing any value, uh, you know, from it. So, uh, yeah, basically, no one has time to read anything that's more than three, four pages. So in terms of what you were saying, I know, for example, in the U.S., they, you know, they have the resume, which is strictly one page, uh, you know, and you have to almost fit everything uh, into that. Whereas I think here, you know, in Africa, UK, Australia, you know, where we use the CV, you know, m more often, I think two pages is acceptable, three pages are acceptable, but definitely nothing more than um, four pages. So what I would advise then is that put the most important, most critical, your, 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 your key selling points on the first page. Mm -hmm. This is such that, you know, if a recruiter is lazy to go to page three or four, at least from that first page, they are able to, to, to almost summarize you in a nutshell and you're able to quickly sell yourself. So all the critical information should be on, on the first page. All right. So what about um, our HR managers here in Zimbabwe or South Africa or Africa? Are they ready to receive a CV or resume which is just one page? Yeah, that's or they'll very... just think that you know this kid is not, <laughs> not serious. serious. <laughs> you actually very, raise a very good point, and that's why I always bring the country-specific context into it. So if you're in US and I think some European countries, like no one will look at anything that's more more than a page. And I know that I've spoken to people within that particular um, space, you know, who strictly have to have it in a page. But within Africa, I would say two, three, four pages um, is acceptable. Particularly, you know, there's still that perception that. The more, you know, the more pages, the more, pages, you know. the more accomplished I am, the more <laughs> things that I've done, you know, which I guess, you know, in a way is true. So if you think if you've got 25 years work with experience, you know, you might think that, well, you know, if I only have three pages, you know, that means I am extracting a lot of value and not putting in a lot of things that I could be selling um, on, on, on myself, which is true. Look. You can put in stuff that you've done 20 years ago, but realistically, that is not relevant, um, you know, for, for maybe what you're probably doing now. So what I always do is your entire work history should be there. So if you started working in 1989, for example, it's not to say that, you know, you omit it because then it kind of creates strange ga gaps whereby they say, okay, you graduated in, let's say, 1984, and then, you know, suddenly your work experience starts in 1989. So normally any work experience that I feel is not value adding, Mm -hmm. to what you're doing now i just summarize it so basically sometimes i can even put it to say between um 1996 and 1989 you know i worked within the retail industry you know within these five roles sales marketing and operations for example so okay. basically i'm kind of accounting for what i was doing at that time without giving the detail because it's highly likely that that detail is not relevant for what i'm doing now so i normally focus on you know the last five, ten years, you know, that's if obviously you've got a lot of work experience. But yeah, in essence, there is still that perception that, you know, you should have a lot of details there um, for, for, for you know, for you to, to, to look like you're well achieved. Um, I would say maybe that might work in the context. So if you are headhunted or if it's one of those um, positions, maybe it's a very senior executive positions where they're not receiving like hundreds of applications. They probably don't even advertise it publicly. Maybe they use a headhunter or they approach people. And you know that, you know, in that pool, you'll be one of three or one of four. Mm -hmm. Then I guess, you know, people will have time to read, elaborate, and they might actually want to go into detail in terms of what you've done, uh, ETC. So maybe that's the only case I would say, you know, be a little bit elaborate. But otherwise, if you're 
applying on a platform where you don't have a, a direct connection, you're going to be in a pool of 500 and a pool of 100. I've even read somewhere that some positions have even received up to 2,000 applications. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so realistically, no one is going to read your seven-page CV uh, in that case. Yeah, even, you know, coming now to the formatting, there's an inst- um, attendance that most of the students or the job seekers, they tend in to put in all the information to the extent that they will say, these are my all-level classifications, English I had a B, History I had an A, yes. this I had that. Then they go to their A-level results, they do the same. Then they go on to their degree program. Then they start putting all the courses and the grades as well. Yes, you raise such a key point. And, you know, I, so I, I know that with graduates, because you feel like your CV is empty, you need to fill it with something. And you yeah. know, if you have no work experience, that's kind of what makes sense to fill it with. So I get the rationale, but I always say a transcript is there for a purpose. Basically, your, your, your courses that you did, um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the marks that you got, that's what a transcript is for. Don't duplicate and put that on your CV. What is important, for example, you know, for ex- if you're listing your, your, your tertiary education is to put um, your majors. So you don't have to list all your, your modules that you've done from first year. So you can put that, you know, you're a politics major or a philosophy major or a science major, whatever the case may be. And then the mo- in terms of marks, if you have a really good impressive mark, I always say put the average. So for example, depending on what system you use. So if you've got a, an overall average of B or of A or of 70% or of 80%, you can put the overall score, you know, if it's impressive. If it's not that impressive don't and it's not it requested, <laughs> yeah, I would say then d- d- don't don't put it there. So that's the rule of thumb. But the subjects that you did at high school, leave them out. They waste space and they're not always relevant. Unless you don't have tertiary and maybe you are a high school student and maybe you're trying to get into a field where maths, you know, having done maths at A-level would assist an advantage, you. Yeah. Yeah. Th- then you can list that. So sometimes you can even put a section written relevant courses. So for example, if you feel like you know, a course that you did in 101, maybe you did French 101, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's relevant for this job. Instead of listing everything that you've done from first year, you can put relevant courses and list two or three modules that you feel will give give you a competitive advantage. So so that's a way of doing it. But definitely leave out the marks, leave out the whole transcript out of the CV. They don't, they don't belong there. That would be cool. Then I saw a number of CVs. Um, they come in, I'm aged uh, 29, uh, I stayed number 51, St. Andrews. Uh, I am married. And also they have a picture on the CV. Yeah, so, yes. <laughs> I actually recently did a post about biographical information and raised those. I yeah. remember running a workshop um, some time back. And then I, I asked, so it, it had job seekers. And I said, when is the last time you received an employ- a letter from the employer? Whether it was a rejection letter or a letter inviting you for an interview. And I think out of the whole, I think there was one person. So in essence, that speaks to putting your physical address. No one is going to send you a letter in this day and age. I'm quite confident of it. So there's no need for you to put a physical address. What you can put is the area. So for example, maybe it might be worthwhile, you know, so if you live, um, you know, on the other side of town and the job, so you live in Norton and maybe the job is like on the other side, you know, Mm -hmm. of Harare. And it doesn't make sense, you know, and maybe you're not even prepared to travel, you know, to certain areas. You can just put, put your general area. So you can put, you know, I live in Norton or you can put I live in Melbourne or wherever it is. This is so that the employer can get a sense of where you are geographically. Okay. So that, you know, if 
feel like in Karoma, they were like, I'm not going to call this person because, you know, the distance might the be distance too much. The distance will be example. too much for the person. So yeah. put in the area. Um, if, if you if you would if yeah but but at the most but don't put in the full address it's waste time and it's actually relevant in terms of yeah so biographical information can actually be used against you so for example marital status age those are points of discrimination uh, so some people have perceptions about married people so they might think oh if you're married it means you know you can't work long hours uh, or if you've got kids it means you won't be as committed you know in terms mm-hmm. of hours so they, they form judgments and be like no we don't want any people with kids yet it means that when we need to work hours or when their kids are sick they need to take time off so there's sometimes pre-formulated judgments or other times some people and I remember someone a colleague actually telling me that um there's a perception where she's from that if you're married, it means you're stable. So they would rather give a, a married person a job because they feel you're stable, you're more committed. So those are perceptions, you know. I lost are... a job because of that, actually. Really? Yes. The CV, um, I sent my CV, I went for an interview, everything happened. I did good in the interview, then I did not get the job. So I later on met one of the guys who was uh, part of the panel. Yes. Then he actually said to me, it's because you're not married. We wanted someone who's married who can be stable and would not move around from the job. Yeah, which, I mean, and it, it doesn't say that because you're you're not married, you are, you're going to be less committed. So yeah. those stereotypes literally can disqualify you. Um, and in, in fact, so, you, so you, it obviously, you obviously brought up, or maybe they asked the fact that you're not married in interviews, mm-hmm. but many countries' legislation, there are particular, there's particular information that legally you're not allowed to ask in the interview so a lot of it i think kind of just comes up you know naturally organically or sometimes they can actually even directly ask it but mm-hmm. if in an interview like for i know for example in south africa if someone were to ask no one you're not um, legally required to disclose your marital status whether you have kids your religion etc so if for example someone were to bring it up in an interview and you did not disclose it they could not, you know, they were not, in fact, they're not even supposed to ask it in the first place unless it is relevant to the job, in which may, cases, for example, if it's an employment equity um, position, you know, they might want to know, um, like, your gender, your race, etc. Mm-hmm. So those things would be relevant because they are relevant uh, for the job. Age is also a big discrimination factor. If you're above certain age, people think, oh, this person is too old. Or if you're maybe well accomplished, but they see your age is young. They'll say, no, you know, as you said, this person is not stable. So, yeah. so don't put that information because people will use it to make value judgments, which are in many cases not, not true. So it's, it's not required. In fact, in many countries, legally, you're not even required to, to disclose it. Uh, and I know that some things, once you turn up for the interview, uh, like you can't hide your gender, your age, of course, <laughs> once you turn up. Yeah. But at least, you know, it, it helps you to make it past the first phase you know based on on, on your competencies then comes the picture yes yeah, so <laughs> I don't know where the picture thing came from but it seems to be quite a prominent thing I remember at some point when I was job hunting and agencies were asking for pictures and I was like but, but why do you need a picture I, I don't find it I as, had, as relevant I had an instance once uh, so this friend calls and says um I want a receptionist at my at my company and said, uh, so what qualifications are you looking for? So, and you just said, um, I need someone who's qualified, but make sure I, that person is a yellow bone. <laughs> they wanted someone who's very, very light skinned and a she. So for him, it meant that if anyone was going to walk in, even if they don't have the skills, but if they have the appearance, then it's good. Yeah, which is actually very discriminatory behavior, you know, so to speak. So I I don't know why people put pictures, but it kind of seems to have gained prominence. 
But for me, you know, so those um, disqualifying factors, those biases mm-hmm. as well, those will come up in, in pictures, you know, so, so to speak. So I wouldn't advise it. And I, I don't, I really don't see the value add of a picture on a CV. Like, what is the purpose? What is the use? It doesn't matter. Even if you're in a, in a customer care environment or in a client facing environment, those factors should, should not matter at all. So I would say remove the, the, the picture from, from the CV. And I think a lot of these modern CV templates have the pictures a lot and maybe yeah. that's why they're coming up but yeah maybe maybe the, because they, they are now very popular it's, it's, it's rising to prominence yeah but yeah it's worrisome actually sometimes I saw someone printing so many CVs with their pictures and you can just walk up to them and say please don't put your picture <laughs> there it's going to be a red flag for you yeah. but what about putting up a referees on the on the CV yeah so that one I think is optional I know before it almost felt compulsory to put referees because mm-hmm. if you had referees, it means you know you you know you, you you didn't have anything to hide, and there were people who could vouch for you. Yeah. Uh, so almost people wanted it upfront, but now it's perfectly acceptable to put references on request because sometimes you know you don't want to put someone there. Um, you know, so maybe the person that you want to put, you want to check in with them first. Um, so 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 that's for example one reason or. You know, depending, you might have like 10 referees. So you obviously want to put the relevant ones there. So mm-hmm. if, for example, you know, it's a marketing role and you want to give particular people, then, then you would put that. But otherwise, it's perfectly acceptable to put references available upon request unless it's asked up front. Yeah. So I think one of the other issues was um, someone putting a referee, your teacher from high school. Yeah. So it, so it depends who you are. Look, if, if you're a professional and you've worked, Mm-hmm. In fact, many employers will insist we want to speak to a previous boss, right? Okay, yeah. But if you're a graduate where you've not worked and no one can vouch for you professionally, I find they, I mean, normally people put like a professor or a university or a faculty member mm-hmm. that kind of knows you and can vouch for you. If you're a school leaver with no work experience, I guess you can put a teacher because that's you know, supposedly an objective person. But the one thing that people do is don't put an aunt or a parent um, yeah, so because the point of a, of a referee is someone who can objectively vouch for you professionally. So if I see someone with the same surname as me, um, you know, I might be like, well, but this is an aunt or a mother. Or, yeah. So it's, it's not going to be objective, you know, and it's actually going to sometimes may look unprofessional. You may, however, I remember when I was still starting out and I didn't really have many referees, I did put a relative of mine who had a different surname and then I put a professional uh, so I had so for example you know when you lift your reference you normally mm-hmm. put what their what they're doing. identity is yeah. so I put her name her surname and then at that time she was working at a bank and I put her title there in the bank she was working at um, but obviously as long as you don't misrepresent that you reported to them so you know it, it, you say hey this is a, a professional who can vouch for me it can even be a friend or a family friend but I think there's that objectivity that, that that's that people like like to look for so can I when I put um, an identifier a career identifier for my referee can I also if can I put my mentor or a coach yes definitely you can put your mentor mm-hmm. or coach if you have one because that's someone who can actually vouch for you uh, you know from a professional perspective oh. Okay, so yeah, I know how to do my CV now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, maybe going on into something. So discussing all these, um, putting all these into perspective, it means my CV is going to be more or less even a patch uh, or a tool for some. But now, should I have the same CV, then that's the one I use to send to all the companies and job listings that I come across. No, so your CV, 
in fact, one of the reasons that people get rejected for roles is because they're not tweaking their CV to speak to, to the particular role that they're applying for. Mm-hmm. You're not a, applying for, so even if you're applying for like an HR role, not every HR role is going to look the same. Some are going to have more operations, some will have more admin. So you need to actually see, okay, what are the key competencies they're looking for and how does my skills appeal to it? So when we say change or tweak your CV, it's got nothing to do with misrepresenting or lying or trying to to make like you did something you didn't do. It's almost like, what am I going to highlight? So for example, I'm going to give you Paddington, for example, mm-hmm. you as an example. I know that I, I heard, I think it was in a podcast where you talked about you studied politics, right? Yeah. But you're working in the career space. So if there should ever be a case where you are applying for, you know, roles within, um, within, you know, the political space, for example, and then you're applying for other roles within the career space, those CVs can't look the same um, because it's two different roles. So maybe you might have done something, you know, within politics. Maybe you've got a political blog or when you were uh, in university, you did something within that area. You would actually focus on that more than, you know, your career thing. Not that, you know, even if that's not your most recent, it's almost like what speaks or what appeals most to this uh, employer. And particularly if you've done different things, like, I've worked in the career space most of my life, you know, as well as, you know, a bit in HR, but that's different experience. So if I'm applying for a role where I need to practice as an industrial psychologist, I will very much focus on that. If I need to apply for a role where the focus is working on young people, I'll focus more, you know, on the work that I've done with young people and less on the stuff that I've done in corporate because Mm -hmm. that's of less interest to them. So you might actually find sometimes what's of interest to that employer is maybe something you did two jobs ago. So you just want to just highlight and bring that to the front more than what you have done recently. So it's all about what does this employer care about the most in terms of my experience? Because you can't highlight everything in equal value at the same time. Maybe it should. So is there a space that I can also mention and justify my career change at times? Uh, if I'm doing an application like I started off in politics, then you end up in education. So if if I'm applying for a posting in education, should I give a reason for, for this career change uh, somewhere in my CV? Yeah, you can. I've seen some people do it, particularly where the employer cannot make a direct link like, oh, this person started in accounts and now they're working in PR. So sometimes in your career summary, you can actually just you know weave it in you know the career summary is normally the, the, the couple of sentences that i normally ad- advise to have at the beginning of the cv or what you can do which is maybe even a, a more effective way is to focus on competencies so you have then um, you know some people have worked in marketing in hr in accounts like, like they have such yeah. a various that when a recruiter looks at the cv they're confused they're like wait but is this person hr marketing i don't understand <laughs> where to place them mm-hmm. a competency-based cv is so powerful because you would then so for example you've done stuff in education and politics and then whatever role you want to apply for you would then focus on competencies so while you worked in politics and while you worked in education you learned project management you learned um client so, relationship media management, management you learned mentorship exactly okay, yeah. so you would almost like so you maybe list the five or six or four however many competencies that you feel are very appealing to that role and then you weave in your experience so for example under um, under project management you can talk about stuff you did at university in the same sentence or in the same place about stuff that you've done you know with 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 the career space so literally it's almost like consolidating and putting your experience in themes and that's very powerful for people who have various experience you know because in essence it just says these are the five key things that I bring and mm-hmm. this is how I've experienced them throughout my career so that a recruiter doesn't have to figure out you know where where all this is going I think that 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 you 
also becomes a very very key point uh, especially with with the way our job market is being exactly. is operating now it means someone who graduates in sociology you yes. can find them in chickening yes, you can exactly. find them doing something which is totally totally divorced from you know what they are qualified for yes. but then you do not see the link on bringing that experience exactly. to maybe the job that that you would want to to apply for so now how then can someone put those skills down like for example we I think in one or two podcasts before um actually the podcast we recorded which was are we educated or are we just passed exams yes, so remember you, you remember that so one of our panelists was actually saying can someone put ms word as a skill microsoft word can you put that as a skill on your cv so which skills now are we saying are the relevant ones that you can actually point out to yes we know that these uh, these competencies that you have talked about but can someone really put microsoft word as in you know yeah look at some point maybe many years ago you could have put it but i mean for me like the whole microsoft office is it's almost i mean if, if you can't use word you know should you really where can you actually get a job you know unless maybe in, in other roles but yeah so I, i wouldn't say don't list it but at the same time it's not something that it's not going to make you competitive at all in fact sometimes it looks like you're just trying to fill space particularly when people put ms word ms excel ms unless so for example with like excel you know everyone maybe has a basic understanding but if you have advanced or maybe you've done an extra course in it you know mm-hmm. to, to to be able to do charts graphs and and all these fancy things then you can list it but if it's a standard like for example a lot of people I can use email so they put outlook as a skill which yeah i think in this <laughs> yeah, case it's, it's uh, yeah exactly it's, it's 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 really redundant those are almost like the things you know it just come kind of like putting you can read and write you know th- those are almost like the skills that people should automatically have so the skills that will stand out is if you if you know a programming language or you know how to to use like wordpress you know from the back in the etc yeah, so or those adobe are some or yes, something exactly but yeah. but not not things that that come as standard yeah so well, i i i was assisting someone to to do their cv so coming back to competencies and we're trying to look at how then can you put those competencies into into action and um some of i think the other ones that i've seen is that you actually say to someone you've been a program manager so it will be easy for you to put competencies to actually say you know i have actually initiated in my organization to start an HR policy to yes. start an IP policy yes. in the company then we have implemented it uh, this is how it has been done and all this but then for one of those um one of those clients of mine the question was i'm not at the top you know okay. i'm merely an assistant yes. so should i always continue with my competencies to say i assisted in developing this i assisted in developing this because in most cases you are given a, t- a task then you are supposed to implement it so should i ask actually say uh, you know i assisted in completing a nature policy then the whole section of your competencies you have just been assisting Assist- oh yes sir. yeah so it's really about i guess phrasing so yes assisting kind of looks like you were on the periphery yeah whereas you know if, if you were so for me as long as you do not misrepresent anything mm-hmm. so if you assisted but so for example if you use the word i contributed to the hr policy that is not lying because you know you are assisted just you've just framing it in 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 a different in a different, in, in a different manner um mm-hmm. and th- that's why you know if you look like there's a whole list of action verbs um 
that are out there. So sometimes it gives you really great ideas of framing anything as long as you're not misrepresenting. So that's why even when I assist clients with CVs and maybe I frame something a particular way, I always say, please double check that this is still accurate and it's misrepresenting what you actually did or what your role was. So don't overinflate what you did, uh, you know, in, t- in terms of just tr- trying to, to sound appealing. Yeah, yeah. Most, yeah. Most cases, when my CV is very small, I, I have to try and do that. <laughs> I have to inflate things so that people will know that I can, I can do something. So then, um, when when I finish my CV, then comes the cover letter. You know, um, what's the main role of the cover letter, and how best can one pen it out? Yeah. So I, I have a love hate relationship with the, with the cover letter <laughs> because. I, I believe, I personally believe it's redundant. I I can assure you that in, okay, I'm just throwing a figure out there. In 70, 80% of the cases, it's not read. I worked in recruitment before. I know people work in recruitment, trying to look at a CV and then trying to read a cover letter. Cover letters, look, it's kind of like, I say it's a catch-22 because I wouldn't say completely ditch them, but I know that they are becoming less valuable. In fact, I actually think we're going to get to a stage where they are completely redundant. Mm-hmm. They are normally helpful, I find, sometimes for entry-level professionals who want to motivate things, or sometimes they want you to maybe put extra information that you know is not necessarily contained in a CV. So, in essence, what the purpose of a cover letter is, you know, in spite of how I feel about it, is it should enhance your CV. So, don't don't duplicate what's in your CV. So, for example. Um, if you have, you know, all these competencies and tasks that you did in your CV, your cover letter would enhance that. So maybe you will elaborate more on two or three key projects that you did in a manner that you won't elaborate uh, within the CV. So mm-hmm. it's almost to sell you and also cover letters are very tweaked to the position. So you look at what the job profile says, then you see how your experience speaks to that. So it's almost like a motivational letter, uh, so to speak, you know, if you want to think of it. But yeah. Not to discourage people, but realistically speaking, many of them do not get read. I know personally when I worked in recruitment, I, I think maybe I read a total of 5% of cover letters. And that's only sometimes when I can't really understand a person's CV or they don't have much experience. And I, I just want to see what their motivation is. If it's requested, I would say submit one because sometimes it, it is compulsory in certain cases. So And you should still know how to do it. So like we always have this you know, thing with my colleagues sometimes where we laugh, like, okay, we, we still give cover letter sessions because, you know, it's important. But yeah, I feel like they, they will be phased out soon. And that's, that's some of the things um, that fascinate people who have not worked or have experienced how the recruitment, you know, space is always yes. about. You know, I, I remember one of your messages that you posted actually to say, you know, I think about 60 to 70 percent of recruitment agencies, they just post in job vacancies which are not in existence so that yeah. they become valuable and relevant, you know, in the market and all that. Exactly. So when I worked in the recruitment space, this was maybe close to eight, ten years ago. But when I posted that, a lot mm-hmm. who are still in the space confirmed that this is still the practice. Because I, I didn't want to generalize yeah. because I haven't worked for every recruitment agency. But in essence, there is a big war for talent. So where agencies are concerned, the person with the good candidates is king, so to speak. Because when you have good candidates, when you have a ta- good talent pool, that means you place them at clients and then you, know, you obviously earn commission on that. So in order to attract good candidates, you need to put out an attractive sounding position. So sometimes, maybe I don't have any positions for financial directors, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any current vacancies, but I want to build a database where at least I've got, you know, a good pool of financial directors that I can pitch or market to candidates. So there's a lot of fictitious 
um, adverts that are put out there by agencies. That's why when you see sometimes the same advert going up over and over again, you're like, wait a minute, but it's been like six, eight months and I keep seeing this company advertising the same. So agencies mostly do it, not really corporates or companies because, I mean, they don't have the time to waste and they're not trying yeah. to get unsolicited applications. But agencies do it a lot and they interview so they'll call you in for an interview to screen you for a client. And many times it's to buff up their database because, as I said, if you have a good database, that increases your chances of, of, of making commission. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, look, it's, it's kind of a cruel because it wastes people's time. So you will see these positions, you know, you're spending time, energy, sometimes even going for these interviews, but the role doesn't actually exist. They're trying to build their database. In that regard, it's not impossible as well that, you know, once they've, built a good database and a position comes up, you might be picked up from that pool. So it's mm -hmm. not always a waste of time. But I remember when I was job hunting at some point and when agencies called me to say, oh, we want to call you in for an exploratory interview. I'll say, you know what? I'm only traveling if there is an actual position and you can give me details about that because otherwise you just end up, you know, going for all these agency interviews and, and wasting your time. And, and for me, it was just non-value. And, and I see it now when I see a, a, a vacancy that's always recurring. I'm like why is this not being filled then I, I know it's a way to solicit um, yeah to just have that database yes yeah so maybe the last two issues I have so the first one is on um, that 90, 80 to 90% of you know uh, the vacancies which are out there especially the ones which are advertised they are already taken so it probably means that there is a back end to getting these jobs it's either through networks or nepotism at times but either way, it means that there's now or there should be a new way for you to advertise yourself, which is out of the space of having a CV. So can someone verbally advertise themselves in seven seconds or 10 seconds? Yeah. So, you know, you raise an important issue. And I know many people have this theory that, you know, people are advertising for for, for jobs that are already taken. So look, networking is very key because you know I'll, I'll do a post about it soon. There's what's called a hidden job market mm -hmm. out there. And in fact, they actually say most vacancies don't even go up for, for advert. No, not, not, not that the company doesn't want to advertise, but I mean, if you've worked before, and I know I've experienced this many times where it's like, hey, we need an administrator in the department. Do, don't you guys know someone? And maybe before we even have a chance to advertise, you know, we've looked in our pool, we've told our friends, family, relatives, colleagues, you know, um, ex-classmates, ETC. So, you know, sometimes employers don't want to put something, you know, for advert and receive hundreds of applications. They actually would like to get referral because normally, you know, they trust that it's, it's most quality referrals mm -hmm. and it saves them the time of screening through hundreds of, of CVs. So the networking is important. So that's why your family, your friends, people around you have to know that you're on the job market. They kind of have to have an idea of what you're looking for because you never know who knows who. How many times... Have you had unrelated conversations and say, oh, actually, I know someone in a church who was speaking about looking for a role, you know, in, in HR, and then you, you link up those people. And actually, jobs that you get through, you've got a higher chance of getting a job through networking when you talk about ratio um, and probability than through applications. Because think of it this way. If I personally send you a CV and say, you know, Paddington, please look, you know, this is someone I know, you know, he's a good, solid person. You'll focus on that CV. In fact, you even make an effort to contact them because maybe you, you trust or you rely on my judgment. Then when you receive like 50 CVs, there's no reference. You don't know if they're reliable or, you know, or what their status is. So if you actually get something through a referral, 
you actually find it gets more attention, particularly if there's a good relationship between the person who's referred you and, and, and where you've been referred to. So a lot of people are actually preferring that. Uh, and many companies are actually even compensating um, employees for referring people to them. So the, a lot of HR companies have like a, a, an employee referral system. You refer a good person, they land the job, then you get you know paid a certain amount for that because they know that there's actually higher quality in referrals than there is in you know just uh, applic- open applications. Yeah. So then the last one is uh, you work with a lot of students at um, Africa Leadership Academy, and now the other issue when I was talking to this HR, she was saying we now need or we have or they have actually gone past the CV to say yes you can see uh, send the CV we can see it we can call you for an interview but we are now putting more emphasis on assessments before we even hire you what then can we do to prepare students um, you know for these assessments uh, when before they go for them at different corporates yeah so look so it, in yeah for, for me the assessment before the CV or interview, I found that it normally works when you want to bulk process. So I know, for example, um, companies that give bursaries or they have graduate programs where maybe they want to get 100 students to give bursaries. And, you know, if you got like, you know, 600 A-level students that you can't really differentiate because they're kind of at the same level, you would then do maybe mass assessments to say, okay, these are the the 100 or the 50 that we'll focus on to take to the next stage for bursaries, for example, where it's hard to differentiate. But in essence, most companies do the interview process first and the assessment at the end because assessments are very expensive. In fact, many of them are costly. So to basically bulk assess a whole bunch of candidates is going to be expensive in order as, as a screening tool, unless it's a very cost-effective assessment of which most of those you know it it, it doesn't always work for for, for a lot of professions but I know that for for the graduate market it works in terms of preparing for assessments it's it's actually an interesting one I think what you can prepare for is the process and that's what you can really prep because for example personality a personality assessment I, I cannot prep you to, to, to do a personality assessment in terms of this is what you know how you know it's whether it's computerized or however format that it's, it's given I can just help you to feel more comfortable with the process but there's no way I can coach anyone can coach a person to say mm-hmm. you know this is how you pass in fact when it comes to personality tests not about passing or not it's just about them identifying you know what kind of environment you flourish in what is your personality type etc the other ones are very competency or behavioral based or it's emotional intelligence so Assessments, in essence, are measuring kind of like they're either measuring your potential or where you are now. So you can't really, yeah, so you can't really practice. So there isn't a way of, of trying to, to, to perform better, you know, beyond like just knowing what the process is and feeling comfortable with the process. So, for example, you're taking people from disadvantaged backgrounds and it's a computerized assessment, you know, and someone hasn't really worked the computer, that might actually bias them and they might actually end up failing the assessment, not because they're not competent, but because they have no familiarity with computers. So that's kind of the things you can address. But otherwise, you can't really, you know, whatever your level of emotional intelligence is right now at this point, there's no way I or anyone can coach you to, to perform better to be in it than that. because it's actually kind of taking a snapshot of where you are now and people shouldn't be so worried because assessments are not normally the be all and end all they, they they have to be triangulated with other information so we can do an assessment and see this is your personality your emotional intelligence your competency your behavior etc but we have to triangulate that with your experience your skills um with your CV, with your culture fit, a whole bunch of things. So, in fact, no one should really be using assessments as a be-all and, and end-all tool because that's not what 
they are meant uh, to do in, in essence. All right. Um, thank you very much. This has been a mouthful. I think we and the each and every person who's going to listen to this, they will now have, you know, a different vantage point on how you should come up with a CV and, you know, uh, deliver a CV at any given point and advertise yourself at any given point. So maybe your last words. Yeah, so last word, um, everyone should have a CV. There's a lot of information that's available online that you can find, but you can also find a lot of conflicting information. But I would say, keep it clean, keep it simple. There's a lot of fancy formats that are coming up these days and there's nothing necessarily wrong with them but I always advise everyone that everyone should have a traditional CV black and white you know for, uh, format because you never know I'll rather be err more on the conservative side um, because you know depending on the industry that you're applying to you know you'd rather at least be be safe you know than to have you know some of these modern templates which some industries might not have an appetite for so I'll say keep it clean keep it simple Make sure you've got the same size fonts. Uh, I prefer black and white for, for most of them because color can sometimes look unprofessional. It can sometimes be done wrong and keep it as short as possible and keep it focused. Uh, no spelling errors, no grammar errors. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually I'm actually one of those people who always prefer colored bond. Really? <laughs> colored bond paper. Is it blue? Is it orange? Is this this? Is this? Then, yeah, when you send it to some people's offices, they are like... You know what's yeah. wrong with you, young man. <laughs> so, where can uh, the young people or anyone else uh, out there who wants to get either career information or CV writing information get uh, get the information from you? All right. So, um, you can follow me on on LinkedIn. You can search for Fiona Martin. So, Fiona is spelled with a P H I O N A. It's not the traditional spelling. I, I'm on LinkedIn. I've got a, a website where I post most of my career advice articles. It's www.fionamartin. Uh, com. And then I'm also on Twitter, um, MS uh, Fiona. So it's Miss Fiona, but it's Miss with an MS. And my name is again spelled P H I O N A. All right. So thank you, Fiona Martin. And this has been Career Podcast brought to you by Capital 263 and Career Zimbabwe. You can also find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook as Career Zimbabwe. We are here to, f- we are free to say it and free to do it. Thank you and see you next time. And now. And now. Capital 263.